that. I wish I could just, you know, get on my soapbox and be like, yo, creators, like, let's get together and like figure out pretty ways to show the ugly stuff. Welcome to Remodel Your Life. Shining the light on women working in the trades and remodeling their life into something better. Join a female cabinet maker in California in bringing together kitchen remodeling and working with your hands for a living. Welcome your host, Camille Finan. Good morning, ladies. Thank you so much for joining me today on the show. I've got a great, great guest. I'm super excited. It's our first design guest where we're talking a little bit about design. And it is Daniel McKim from the Tuft Store. And uh, so thanks so much for joining me today, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me, Camille. I am so excited that I've found your page and your podcast. I feel I found a new family that understands my crazy self. Oh, I love that. I love that. So why don't you give us like a little bit of a background? You own a physical store where you actually sort of take furniture, remodel it, refinish it, and then you resell it in your store, which is gorgeous. But I know you've done a lot of stuff before that. Can you give us like a little, and I know you're from New York originally, thus the spunky attitude, which I love. (laughs) Um, Can you give us like a little background of sort of like, you know, I think you went to college, I believe, first before you created the store and sort of how you ended up with a store, uh, an actual physical retail storefront. Yeah. Okay. So yes, from New York and I went, I started going to student schools and then my parents decided to move down to South Carolina and they wanted, they had wanted to do that for a while. They waited till uh, my brother and I were out of high school and doing our own thing. And so when my mother got down here, she decided to get her master's and she decided to go to Clemson University. And she, once she got there, she was like, I really think you should look at the school um, and maybe think about transferring. So I went, did a tour, loved it, moved down here. And that was about 2003. So I started going to school here. I graduated in 2008. And in that process, I met my husband, who happens to be from Northern California. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, so crazy. Um, he always jokes that he came to find a Southern Belle and got a loud mouth New Yorker, and he only <laughs> did. Um, <laughs> I love that. You know, we graduated into, well, he graduated before me, but, you know, we left Clemson in 2008, and that was clearly a very, the start of the recession. It was really rough, and, um, you know, I left college with a sociology degree thinking I would work government or just something along those lines. And that just didn't happen. And I had been bartending and I didn't want to do that field anymore, but it did get me, I opened a restaurant and I was manager. And so that got me my first corporate job in Charlotte. And then from there I got, from a regular, I got a real job and I loved it. That is when I would say my obsession with furniture started. It was a whole shift in how I lived my life instead of working service hours. I was working a nine to five schedule and I had weekends to myself. So I I found myself being able to do all these new things and, you know, spend my weekend standing, painting, trying new things. And, you know, the first Christmas, my husband bought me my first Ryobi tool set. And I was like, done with you. You found a new love. Yeah. Like, this is basically a ring. So we're good. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So then once we, you know, after three and a half years being in a corporate job, everybody had the itch. What's next? You know, know, 
I was younger. So, you know, we're all thinking about the next step. And at that point I told my husband, uh, you know, I'm not sure what this is going to look like, but I'm going to quit and figure out design. You know, I remember, I was like, I don't know what day I'm going to quit, but I just know something's going to happen. That's going to push me out the door. And the funny thing is, is that they wanted us to do sales at this job. And I was like, bye, fuck that. I'm not doing this. <laughs> and here I am with the store selling and it's selling so all day long. <laughs> like your life depended on it. <laughs> it's so crazy that that's what pushed me out the door. And I didn't, you know, realize this is what I would stumble into. But when I did leave, I didn't want a store in the beginning. I wanted to do furniture. I just wanted to get my hands dirty, find these things, you know, refurbish, you know, learn how to upholster. And so, you know, I just kept doing that, worked out of my house for about a year. And then I started consigning and boost and, one specific space, uh, they were about to close their business and they asked me, do you want the lease to the store? And that's what planted the seed. And I realized I'm a creator. And as much as I love to do design and or projects for people, I still will find time to make things for myself or just because I need to make things. And those things cannot live in your home. We found that hard way. <laughs> very clear. This cannot happen. <laughs> so, you know, we lost a living room, a bedroom. It was filled with things that I kept creating. Mm-hmm. And so once they planted that seed, I started looking around. And because the, where their store was, was not my vibe. It was very, just not my vibe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I needed a little bit more of a city feel. And um, it was further from my home. It was more burbs. And, you know, that's just not me. And so then I was driving around. I got a lot of no's about different places I liked. I saw this the sign for the store that I'm in now. I called the guy and he was like, it was so simple. He said, all right, I like the idea. And that was that. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done? And so mm-hmm. well, that, and you know, a lot of, a lot of people ask me, you know, how did you get to the brick and mortar part? There are so many ways to attack it. You know, there are, there were places that wanted a business loan and, you know, they wanted to know how much money you had to put in it. Blah, blah, blah. They, that was one way. And you're learning about me. That's not me. (laughs) I am not that way. I am a fucking, I'll do it person. And so this guy said, yes, right. Like that. And then that was it. And it was just, you know, he's a landlord. So I leave it at that. There are times that he's more of a landlord than he is the one that's more of a friend that loves my business. But it just worked out so well. And I think I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was prepared for the ride. And I didn't know what the ride would look like, but I just knew that this was what I should be doing next. And I approached it with the idea. It's four years. I didn't even finish college in four years. So it's sink or swim. Yeah. Scared. Yeah. And you, you definitely leapt <laughs> and you, well, and you knew enough to know you liked it enough that you were willing to put in the time, like put in the effort and that's yeah. all you can do. And if it never, if it didn't work or it failed, but still you, you were all in like, and it sounds like you're still all in and you're still doing that. Um, yeah. What? Yeah. Can you tell me? And of course we'll link to the, um, you know, we'll link in the show notes so the ladies can see your store, which is adorable. You've got a great, you know, great design. I, I think what would be some design principles that you feel like are, concepts that you use in your store that you think work really well? Because I think you do have a real knack for that. Like, can you? I very much approach my store. There's no plan. I let the piece talk to me. Sometimes I have fabric that I've had for three years and I'm like, one day the right piece of furniture is going to come for this fabric. I, I love furniture. So I will snatch it up and I have storage units that really do need to be, you know, people need to go through them. 
and I need to clean them out, but it's because I love furniture and I know that eventually I'm going to find the right thing. And when I come and it's time to restock my store, because it doesn't happen all, um, it doesn't happen weekly. It does happen in big shifts. I don't, I don't do a plan where I'm like, this couch is going to go with this chair or anything. It is a full explosion of a whole bunch of different things. And then I get, you know, I get them all done. I pick them up, I get them to the store and I spend a day arranging them, putting together, you know, putting them together, accessorizing them, setting up little vignettes that work. And so when people come in, they see color, they see pattern, and they see just a whole mix of things. And I think that is one of the big things of what I love about my store and what I'm able to show people. I'm a big color and pattern person, and I do really believe it all works together if you can figure out a, a nice little common thread through the things that you want to put in your home. And so, you know, that's, Really, you know, the store is my second home. So it's a big place where I get to decorate kind of how I would if I had um, multiple homes, I guess. <laughs> right. You know, I use color in in kitchen cabinets, but I'm not using bright colors like you are. Um, and so I don't really have, like, I have things that I just like, and I don't quite know why I like them. They're just appealing to me. What would be like two things you could teach me about color that you've sort of learned over time? Or two, or two mistakes that people make with color. Like, what do you? What are some things you see that are just sort of your opinion, but might be helpful for me with color? I think that for me, when I, and I guess I'll relate this to furniture. When I want to do something that is very bold and a very big statement, I'm not going to do it on something like a couch. You know, I have done things like I've had these amazing purple chairs, and. You know, I want to allow people to bring in color, but to not do it on something that's such a staple item that would be harder to change out later. So I guess in general with color, I like to I like to add it in ways that you can edit it out later. So I want to have fundamental pieces like you have more of a neutral couch or a neutral rug that anchors things and then get yourself some interesting pieces that you can switch around. I'm a big believer in moving things around my home because what's colorful in one room is even better in the next room and it gives you that fresh new feeling. So I'm very big on adding in things that may push your comfort zone, but adding them in ways that, you know, you can edit them out if you need to. Hmm. That's great. I love that. Um, and so, Okay, so on top of the store, I know that it sounds like it's really a fun expression, like a fun extension of kind of your personality. I know you do commissions with so clients can come in and hire you to help with, um, you know, accessorizing their home, coming up with concepts, coming up with, you know, furniture pieces. So I know you make money that way as well. Um, but I also know that you teach some kind of project based uh, like project-based workshops where women can come into, where people can come into your store and you actually help them remodel a piece of furniture. Is that not correct? Yeah, I am. And more so, I'd love to move into them remodeling something they come in with, but everybody learns the same thing when I do workshops. But what I have also expanded into is trying to get people to do a BYOP, bring your own project to my studio and I will help you. It's not a workshop in the sense where I really want people to flex their um, skills and, you know, do your research, find that Pinterest pin and get your tutorial and come have a space that has all the tools that most people don't want to spend the money on to do one project. And then you can really get into it. And I'm going to make sure, you know, if you have any questions on how to use things, but this is really something I want to give to people. I, I There's something so cathartic about 
doing furniture that I love to share that with people. There is, you know, the feeling of creating is just something so wonderful. So I really am looking for different ways of how to introduce this to people. Um, but back to the workshop. So yes, I've done ottomans, blanket ladders, bar carts, and all of those are uh, very specific projects. I will have it all pre-cut or most of the things pre-cut ready for you to go. And, you know, we go step by step. And so the, the branching off of that, what I'm really trying to and very excited about trying to figure out how to do on a larger scale is getting people to tackle their own projects with me. I just, you know, there I meet a lot of people at the store and I've had many, many conversations with people that have told me this is the reason I didn't do this. This is the reason I didn't do that. And so I'm trying to figure out a way to say, well, hey, guess what? There's no more excuses. Come get that back burner project done. Mm-hmm. I love that. And so what's the sort of range of price of the workshops? So there is definitely a range. No workshop costs the same. So it's going to be anywhere, I think, from 60 into the hundreds. And the higher end things would be more of the upholstery side, which I'm not going to lie, I am very hesitant with that. There is a lot that goes into upholstery. That is the number one thing I'm asked about. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to teach that. There's a lot of skill sets in upholstery. Very much. And the time. The mm-hmm. thing is, doing this on a weekend, I work in my studio through the week. So if it's not something we can wrap up in a weekend, I, you know, I can't work around other people's projects. So, right. you know, I'm very much, that would be my end goal is getting into those, but it's not cheap and it's a very heavy skill set. So there is definitely a range, but I would like to say that most of my workshops are going to be between 65 and $150. You know, they're Projects, smaller projects you can get done in a weekend or in one day. You're walking out with the projects. Right. So working with clients, would you mind sharing? Because a lot of people are listening and, you know, and I have had my struggles with clients like everybody else. Can you share maybe a little bit about like what it's like to work with clients and any, you know, any struggles that you've had and, you know, maybe just things you've learned to try to be more successful working one-on-one with clients? Would you mind sharing some things? Absolutely. And I think I want to take a moment to say, I think people don't realize how much I work with clients. My store, my business thrives with the fact that I help so many clients. So I have learned a lot. You know, it. I offer reupholstery services. I offer custom paint services. And that, that in and of itself is a huge task. And it's really taught me to, I've always been very personable. Um, I will say that. <laughs> and I'm uh, very easy talking to people, but Um, you know, this day in and day out talking to people about their home and answering questions. Is this gray too gray? You know, that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So funny. Oh girl. (laughs) Like that will, it seriously, it becomes a job. And I guess people look at me and they say, you're living your dream and you're doing this. I absolutely am but there is a business behind this and there is a job. And so as far as dealing with clients, the older I get in this business and having my own, I try to like kind of sum up, all right, you know, what were some of the struggles I had before? So now I try to generalize things so I can, you know, offhand vomit a whole bunch of information to clients to let them get there to get a basic mind frame about what it takes to upholster the cost, the time and all those things. And then have this one-on-one conversation about going further into their details and stuff. But as far as the creative side of it, you know, especially when I'm painting, I have to keep in mind that I'm not painting for me. I am painting for someone else. And, you know, you do your check-ins with them. How are you feeling about this? I tend 
to do a lot of shabby chic painting for clients. That is not a style I bring into my store too often. It's just not my preferable aesthetic, but I do a lot of shabby chic painting for clients. And, you know, I'm here to create whatever you like. So I'm not here to complain. I do actually love the technique of painting that way. I just don't love the end product as much as I do love something shiny and solid and all those things. But anyway, I say that all to say, you know, in dealing with clients, like you said, you have to be vulnerable. You have to open up the door and say, how do you feel about this of where I'm at? And then be ready to hear, it's a little too dark. It's a little too this. You can generalize clients, but you can't ever lose that personal contact of one-on-one. You know, I try to very much make each client, their experience very personal and very much like I'm working for you because I am and it is a business and there are many other people that I have to get to, but I try to really lock in and say, all right, we're talking about this right now. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Do you need 10 more gray samples? I got you. You know, as though it's just, I don't know if I really answered the question, but yeah, you did. You did. What's, what's some of the things though, that you've really struggled with? Like if you had a negative experience with a client and sort of how, you know, what have you learned from that? Have you had any bad feedback where it just got kind of bad and you had to like separate or, you know, because that happens. (laughs) It does happen. And a lot of the problems that I've had is when I've involved other people. And so whether it's hiring someone that didn't, that said they had the skill set and maybe had the references not to get the skill set, but then they did it in the end. Or, you know, having, you know, somebody working with me that just, you know, maybe makes a mistake that is very small on their end, but very big on the other end. And so, and I guess I'm saying that based off, let's say four experiences that pop off my mind. They involve someone where I, I wasn't creatively holding all the reins. Um, but the other side of that is I also do a lot of upholstery, which means bringing fabrics, getting to the upholstery, laying out details. And sometimes those details get messed up by my end or by the upholsterers, but you don't realize until you pick it up. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And from that, I've learned, I've now gotten to the point where I am. I Polaroid all the things. So I take a picture, I print it out on a, um, these, you know, new age sticky things and you put it on a sheet. On the sheet, I now have details that say, are you getting nail head trim? Are you getting welds? Are you doing this? Are we getting new cushions? And I try to make it as detailed as possible before I hand it off to the upholsterer. So, you know, one of the things people, you know, the poultry side of it is that all of a sudden, you know, you can drop off 10 things and then they strip all the fabric off of it and then they don't look anything like they used to look. And so there is a lot of room for things like that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm just learning to become more organized with my own creativity and my thoughts so that once I hand it off to people that, you know, my craziness makes sense. Yeah. If that's- I have my customers sign off at every stage. So they actually have to physically initial their door sample color, they have to physically initial the cabinet drawing, it's the actual sketch. So that's what I've done that's helped a lot. But I still, I mean, I still get every once in a while some woman that, you know, writes this horrible review about me saying that she never got to see her cabinet color, which is ridiculous because I have, you know, I have the door sample that she signed off on and she picked the color herself. So that still can happen. Um, but that's, that's helped me a lot is having them physically sign the actual item and then yeah. I keep it. Right. I send them a picture and then I keep it saying, no, you picked diamond white. It's right here. Like, yeah. Yeah. So with those sheets, we pick the fabric, I put it all out and then it's off. And so you're right. I do need to physically have signatures. So we're very much cemented on the same page, but um, yeah, just learning how to better organize something that people don't realize 
there's a lot of steps mm-hmm. in upholstery and custom furniture in general. So that means there's just more, there's a few more options for error. So, you know, I try really hard to eliminate that, but it's going to happen. Yeah. Let's say you make a mistake, I make a mistake, or a vendor that works for you makes a mistake. How do you approach that with the the woman that you have to make that phone call with? Like what, how do you do that difficult conversation? Well, there's two parts to it. With the client, I try to just be very honest and, you know, there's a mistake that happened then I don't even need to bore them with, you know, what the upholster did. The point is there's a mistake. I'm here to tell you about it. I'm sorry about it. I'm here to problem solve it. So I try to be very upfront with the clients. I try to give them the rundown, but give them what this, how we're solving this problem. All right. Are we getting a new piece? Are we getting new fabric? I had a U-Haul truck stolen. That was a very <laughs> hard call to make. Listen, all of your stuff was stolen. Like that, they, you know, like, and that was three different clients I had to call. They all were fantastic. I mean, hands, I just praised them. They were wonderful. But I have been in the position where I've been like, I don't know. I don't know how to even problem solve this one. We'll figure it out. But this is where we're at. But I will say, and will very much say, I am trying to find my voice with my upholsters because I do find that I have issues with them that I don't speak up about. And so we can leave that there. But, Mm -hmm. you know, with my clients, I'm very comfortable even pushing back if I need to. No, we're not doing this or you can't do that. You know, like you're too far in the game to make these kinds of changes. I don't mind the pushback with the clients and I don't mind being humble with clients and making and being very open and honest and stuff like that. But with my upholsters, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think a, a big part of, um, well, your business and my business too, when you have to rely on other people on some level yeah. or even details, like my plywood being delivered, being li- delivered late, going to the wrong job site. Like, I mean, there's just like a thousand details that go into building a kitchen and running a shop and you're, you have multiple clients and multiple kinds of products and multiple kinds of finishes and things. So it's kind of the same thing. Like we're, I don't think clients really understand just how many details there are. Like there's thousands of details in a month practically <laughs> and yes. and 90 a whole bunch of them we really don't have control over and um i mean we can do all the phone calls you know we can do all the prep work we can double check and triple check and you know like we we do all that already right we you probably go above and beyond <laughs> like i do and then that shit can still happen and there's oh. like nothing you can do and i think clients don't really appreciate that and don't really understand it. And I know for me, another major part of running a business where you have lots of sort of things in the air or lots of vendors you work with is that you have to keep working with them over years. Like it's not as simple as like, I can't just fire, you know, my granite fabricator. I mean, he and I have worked together for 15 years. We have a language we have, like, I know his quality level. I know how he laminates. I know how he does his field seams. He knows exactly how, because I'm a fabricator too. So he knows exactly how I want stuff done. Like if he makes a mistake, it's not as simple as I just fire him. You know, he's doing nine other jobs for me. If I fire him, right, it took me years to find him. Uh, If I fire him over one thing, like now I have to start all over again. And I have three different fabricators I work with, but it takes years to find these people to work with and develop a shorthand language and so that yeah. the rest of your jobs are all successful 99% of the time. So I know I've gotten pushback from people when mistakes have been made and it's really hard to explain to them. Like, it's just not that simple. I can't just, you know, yeah. fire my, my plywood supplier. I mean, we've worked together for 20 years and so I don't know if you kind of have that too, is that, you know, you, it's, you can't just fire your upholsterer because he's made a mistake. 
Oh, yes. And there's only so many of these people that have a skill that we need or a supply that we need, right? It's not like there's 30,000 of them (laughs) that you can just go and find somebody else. So I think clients do not understand that part at all. They don't. They don't understand the relationship that I have to have with so many different people just to get this chair done. Yep. You know, from the fabric lady, it's from the delivery people, which, by the way, used to be me. But now I'm using other delivery people because I'm old and I'm over it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's just the truth. But, yes, with my upholsterer, it is, gosh, you know, I I respect him and what he does and, you know, all those things. But I also, you know, I also understand I don't get to run you know, walk in there yelling at him. That is not my role, you know? And so it is a very, um, it's a very touchy kind of relationship where you want to push back, but I don't want to sour a relationship that does work, you know? So for the 10 jobs we do and maybe, you know, I would say three is like an odd, but we don't have that many issues, but let's say three out of the 10, we have some pushback. It's not worth ruining that opportunity to make those other seven consistently. Yes. I very much agree. And especially in um, this design world, having an upholsterer that is kind of not involved with a lot of the other designers and stuff like that, that can handle bulk. Mm-hmm. I don't just do a piece for a client. I will bring four couches, two chairs. You know, I, wow. I'm bringing wow. bulk to people. So this is a very, very unique relationship where I can say, I've got a 16 foot truck coming in and I need these things done. So um, yeah, you're not going to be able to find another person that could just do that. Like, and that's just, that's just part of the business. You have to kind of suck up because yeah, that's a very unique person who can manage that on his end. Right. Yes. And it's a relationship that it's like all relationships. It takes work and there's going to be really tough times, but I think we're both in it to win it, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) we've got to make sure we're talking the same love languages at times. And you know, it's tough, especially being a woman. Sometimes I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not being emotional. I'm angry because I run a business, you know, like it's, you know, it's all those things, but yeah. I'm no. sure you know. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Thanks again for listening this far. We're going to take a quick break and I'm going to tell you about a product I just love that helps support this show. Hey guys, so I'm back again um, and I'm here diving into my latest blue apron box and I'm opening it up and just, you know, so excited again because it's Wednesday and I get to get new recipes again. And I'm just thinking some more of the reasons why I absolutely love it. There's just so many reasons that I like blue apron and I've been using them for probably about four years now. I've been cooking with blue apron and it has really transformed the way that I cook. I love how easy it is to turn it on and off whenever you want, just with the app. They won't keep charging you when you pause it. You can turn it right back on again. I've done that many weeks when we're out of town or I had family coming in and I wasn't going to be able to do the Blue Apron thing because I had to cook like for 12 people, all the same thing. And I just turn it right back on and it's so easy. And the money we save is like off the hook. We used to go to the grocery store every single day or every couple days, both my husband and I, we would both overbuy stuff. We'd waste a bunch of food. And instead, now we just spend our basic weekly budget and we save hundreds of dollars a month. I also like that every single recipe is supposed to be between 500 and 700 calories, but the portions are really generous. So even though they're really low calorie and extremely flavorful, they're very generous on the portions. And like if my husband's gone, I can actually easily eat for a week with just one box by myself. 
There's actually no waste. You get exactly the proportions you need. You know, you get two carrots for that recipe or one head of broccoli or three potatoes. And before we used to shop way too often and all the time and all the food was wasted or we would eat out a lot because we were tired and didn't want to cook that night. So I would estimate we were saving thousands of dollars every year in food expense and just not buying stuff when we're walking around the grocery store, hungry and tired and irritated. So those are some of the things that Blue Apron has done for me. And basically they've taken all the hassle out of it, all the extra expense, all the wasted food, and they've basically streamlined it down to the absolute best parts of cooking that I love. Great food, really interesting recipes, no food waste, super inexpensive, and I get to open this beautiful little package every single Wednesday. That's why I personally love Blue Apron. And I have for four and a half years. So if you want to experience the best parts of cooking along with me, Blue Apron style, just head over to remodelyourlifepodcast.com forward slash Blue Apron, and you can get $30 off your first week by using our link. And a portion of your purchases will really help support the show. And I thank you so much for considering it. And I look forward to seeing what you are cooking. Let's talk a little bit about the industry because I know you have strong opinions, I do too, about being a woman in this industry. And I know you've got some sort of interesting takes on the difference between maybe the person doing the work and actually just being a designer. So yeah. what what struggles have you had in the industry being a woman and being a black woman too is even is yeah. even harder, right? It's not typical. So you're going to get some just, you know, people are like, what are you doing? <laughs> right? Like, yeah, how are you doing this? So what are your, sort of your things that you wish could be changed in the industry? The thing is, is that I, I, I'm a very open person. I feel there's room for everybody. I want everybody to win. And, you know, I, that's just how I take on life. And honestly, businesses aren't run and thriving like that. You do have to have some secrets. You do have to have you know, sometimes I feel there's an exclusivity that sometimes is a barrier I can't break because I just wasn't there when the club was started. Let's say it like that. You know what I mean? And so, especially for how I started my business, I kind of was like, yo, nobody knows me. And by the way, I opened a store. And so I didn't have these relationships and stuff like that. So I have found I've, I've you know, we all feel alienated when you're an entrepreneur. And so I know that I'm not any different than most people that have their own businesses. But I do feel that in the design world, there is very much um, a networking and a family that, you know, really has deep ties. And sometimes I... I wish I could slow down where I'm at so I can build those ties better. So I will say it like that. I do feel that there are, you know, I, because of how I started my business, I kind of just went, you know, blinders on. And I was like, this is just what I'm going to do. And I didn't realize that, you know, sometimes getting dressed up and going to these networking events that you think may not affect you really will. Um, and as far as how I manage being a creator and a designer, I will say I feel a little bit of, you know, sometimes it just Makes me a little angry, to be very honest, because I think there's an overshadowing of people that get up and create for their clients. It is all wonderful to go and buy something that is 15000 for a client, you know, and we, we take pictures, we take angles, and we love it. We do. But I think that there's almost sometimes a little frowning upon when they're like, oh, you made that? Or, oh, you refurbished that? Or, oh, you know, that didn't come from this showroom or something. And so sometimes I feel there is a disconnect between 
the different ways to do design, you know, and I'm very honest with my clients. I am not an orderer of furniture. <laughs> like I'm going to find it. And sometimes it is already made. I am not saying that I don't love furniture. I love design and furniture from all different angles. I really do. But I do feel from being a creator, sometimes it's really hard to, to get the kind of recognition that you think you would get going into something. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's not that I want everybody to be like, hey, you're so wonderful. No, I want people to note that there's a passion behind all the pieces that were put into this to this space. And, you know, I just... I don't know. I want my pieces to talk for me. And sometimes I feel like there's not a voice for them, you know? Yeah. And, and then on top of that, being a woman that has to go to Home Depot all the time, when I walk into Home Depot, it's like, Hey Bill, Hey Tom, sup Lindsay. Love that. They are a family. But when I'm in an aisle and a man is like, do you even know how to use that tool? I will leave it there with, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to like go too crazy with the curses on the show. But you can imagine what goes through my head. So being a woman, being a woman that's walking around with tools, I, you know, you've seen my pictures. I'm yeah. not a skinny girl. I am a muscular girl. And so I get it from all different directions where I'm like, listen, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm just here trying to build furniture. So I have had a lot of hurdles from just being a different kind of designer, from being a woman and wanting a whole bunch of tools. And I feel there is certainly an appreciation. This is what I do love about Instagram is that you can reach out and find people that have more of a you know, a mind frame of how they like to approach things like you. And I love that. That's why I love that. I found this podcast. There are so many (laughs) people that follow and they really share that. But I do think that in design, I'm frustrated at times because I'm not saying it's easy at all, but I do think that, you know, we celebrate a lot of the pulling together and not as much of the creating as I would like. And that, you know, clearly I'm a creator. So I guess I'm biased in the sense that I'm like, this portion is as important as the end product, you know, and some, and I'm hoping that I can figure out a way to share that with people. So are you saying that you get frustrated because people don't appreciate the um, design part, the artistic part that goes into sort of the vision of seeing a piece? I, I guess my frustration is at times when I've gone to networking events and when I've gone to things, you know, you get a lot of designers that are like, I'm high end design. I don't do any projects that are under $50,000. Well, that's awesome. But <laughs> there are so many other ways to approach design. And I feel that when I'm in a room and, it, you know, it, there's such an emphasis on high-end design that I look like, you know, I, mm-hmm. I can't hold my own in this room because I will always have a passion for making furniture. And I, I am not saying I don't want people to pay me 50000 You know, I would love that. But I am saying that I feel there's just such a focus on high-end, you know, that, that you have to hit this price point that mm-hmm. we're losing some of the conversation about what makes a room function, what makes people love their spaces. And I think that is the approach I will always have. I will always work with any budget, but not a lot of people have $50,000 for a room. So, you know, I feel that we overlook the people that can serve a group of people that don't have those budgets. And I, I always want to be able to work with everyone. Yeah. No, I, I, I face that. I mean, I, I've sort of found my niche in kitchens, but I prefer to work with regular families myself and sort of apply high-end kitchen design principles to regular kitchens. That's sort of my niche as well. Like I don't, I don't enjoy doing high-end kitchens nearly as much as I enjoy helping a regular family get a gorgeous kitchen, 
right? Mm-hmm. That's that's just so much more satisfying to me than the woman who doesn't even appreciate it and her husband just bought her a $200,000 cabinet job. Like, and she's not even going to cook in it. Like, that's not interesting to me at all, <laughs> right? I'd way rather build the kitchen for the mom who just loves it and it transforms her life, right? That is way more interesting to me. So I totally get where you're saying that um, and, and I've worked with some designers that are that way and they sort of only like the high-end clients and I, it's not really my thing either. It doesn't resonate as much with me. What I was going to say is what bugs me, which might be, which is probably a little bit different slant than you is that I, I feel like the bias in the industry is that the person, the cabinet maker or the person that's doing the physical work to me is more valuable than the design, (laughs) but that's just my, that's just my, my, yeah, my bias. And so I feel like, you know, kitchen design, like when people always say, oh, you're the one that designed it. And I'm like, yeah, that was the easy part. Like that wasn't even the hard part. Building the cabinets was the hard part. So that's, but that's just my bias. Right. But in the industry, I feel like everybody celebrates the designer and doesn't celebrate the person that just built all that stuff. So, but that's just me. (laughs) And, you know, and then here I am and I, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm full of myself, but sometimes when I'm like, but no, I also built this shit. Yeah. (laughs) To me, that's way more interesting is the person who actually made it. You know, the guy that's doing the upholstery, but that is just literally my emphasis is like, that's the hard part to me. I do appreciate the design and um, I'm super glad I met you because I, I know there's more to it than I know. And I would like, you know, and I, I need to value that maybe more. Um, but I definitely think in general, in the industry, people tend to be, I feel like in the industry, what needs to change is people have less of an appreciation for the craftsmanship that's sort of dying out right in the country. And they only want stuff that's fast and quick and beautiful. And it's like, yeah, but no one's going to be able to build that shit in 20 years. Like nobody, all that stuff you design, all those pretty little pictures on Instagram, no one's going to be able to build all that shit. So for me, that craftsmanship part is what's be, is what's missing and being it's like it's never celebrated, right? It's sort of celebrated like in DIY stuff, but the DIY is not the same as actual craftsmen, right? That took years to learn that stuff. Right. And here's the thing. I can do workshops and they may not be super expensive. I DIY a lot of things, but, you know, I have skills and I have invested and I, exactly. you know, it, it's not always me. If I can't do it, I'm going to find the right crafter to craftsman to yeah. do it. You know, and so I also think tying in the social media. Mm-hmm. I love a good picture. I love Instagram. It is mm-hmm. just exactly what my brain needs. I want pretty pictures and no political talk. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a Facebook. <laughs> I don't want to hear about your aunt or any of those things. It's just a constant feeding of all this wonderful, pretty simulation that I love to see. Mm-hmm. But that also comes. I go to my upholstery shop, I go to my fabric place, and I find that I have tons and tons of pictures, but I feel they're not the right content for social media because they're not pretty enough. They're not, yeah. you know, it's a... Um, because the real work isn't pretty. Like, it just isn't. People, yeah, people ask me all the time, why don't you post videos? I go, because it's not fucking pretty. Oh, my God. Like, the actual construction is not pretty. It's not a, it's not a made-up television show. That shit is made up that you're watching. Like... Really building cabinets is boring and not very pretty to watch. <laughs> exactly. And listen, when I go see my upholsterer, some of them don't have shirts on. And listen, you don't want to see that picture, I promise. But that's the reality of it because they, however they need to, 
are making beautiful pieces of furniture. And that is what's happening. When I'm in my studio, it's like, I want to take a picture, but you don't want to see the piles of sawdust, the the pile of scrap wood. You know, I'm just constantly looking at All the mismatched stuff that doesn't really look good. Yeah, it's not curated. Like that. And so I'm constantly, you know, because there is no getting away from social media. I love it. I hate it. We all do. But I'm constantly looking at this side of my business from this lens of how can I share more of this? And I see so many people do it well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not me. And I'm trying to figure out how to do it. But, you know, I'm hands on. And it's just it's not always pretty. And so it's not to say that people don't appreciate what I've done. I just feel like it's a it's a side of the story that's very hard to share. And I think it gets mm-hmm. lost. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I have struggled with that myself. I feel like I look at the end result of the pretty kitchen and I'm like, I, I do the same thing. I try to figure out like, how could I do this better? And I just, some of it is just not really shareable. Like it's just not, it doesn't c- come across like it does in real life, right? It doesn't look good yeah. on pictures. And our, and our aesthetic has gotten so, the really? standard it- for a high aesthetic on pictures is so much higher, right, than what it really looks like in real life. It just doesn't communicate well. So I've struggled with that as well. Is like, how do you present what I'm doing? Like, it just doesn't show well. <laughs> like, exactly. it just doesn't. Because of that, you know, people just, you know, because we're having a hard time showing it, people aren't, they don't know they should be seeing it, you know? And so it's mm-hmm. that, that's a lot of my frustration with interior design is that, I love it. I really, I am not complaining because <laughs> I really love what I do. And I love any way people get to be in design and be creative. I really, really do. But mm-hmm. there's just a whole side that I wish I could just, you know, get on my soapbox and be like, yo, creators, like, let's get together and like figure out pretty ways to show the ugly stuff. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> figure out pretty ways to show the ugly stuff. Oh, that's perfect. So, okay. So this has been fantastic, but let's switch gears a little bit to another major part of your life. I know you had a baby and uh, so you want to talk a little bit about your son and sort of what that transition has been like being an entrepreneur, (laughs) being a business owner. Oh man, listen, kids are little assholes, but they are the best thing in the entire world. I tell you, like I, I look at my child and I just, I love them. It's so wonderful. But every time I, I, I mean, there's no time I don't realize how much more of a struggle it is to do what I do. And I say that with so much love. You know, we are, I look at him, he's 18 months now. So we're in this stage where I have to make him into a nice human. It is hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so hard. Like, wow, there's so much I need to teach you. But I also look at a kid that has grown up in my store that has grown up around tools, around furniture, around meeting clients. And I am so happy that I'm able to bring him into my world and share this with him. You know, I didn't have any help. I mean, I had help. I had my husband, I had my family, but like I didn't have any formal help like a nanny or daycare until he was 10 months old. Mm. So for me, um, you know, entrepreneurship and being a mother, I was so thankful was on my terms because I closed my store for seven weeks. I said, if I were at a corporate office, I'd be gone. So I'm doing Mm -hmm. it here. I put curtains up, I put a sign up and I, and that was it. I was done. I need my time. This is me. This is, I created a human. Let me enjoy it. And I'm so thankful I had this business to, you know, and it's risky. Who shuts down for seven weeks? Mm -hmm. But, But it's because I'm like, you know, I think that people will understand this. And so 
you know, I opened back up, I got slowly back into things and the first 10 months he was with me. So, but that limited the things I could do, you know, I can sew pillows with him, but I cannot pull out my paint sprayer, you know, so <laughs> how to work with him. And the minute he started, he was an early walker. I was like, mom, what happened? She's like, I told you. And then that was it. That's when I got the nanny. I knew once he was mobile, that was when I could not drag him along to do the things. But he goes with me when I go fabric shopping. He goes with me when I go to Hickory and I have to start yelling at people. I've got pop-up tents and chairs and stuff. And I've made it so that he can be him in my environment and we make it work. Right. And I also have a group of wonderful people around me. I have, I'm next to a salon and a bar. He loves all those people. It's just the thing. You know, my upholsterers, if I need to really be hands-on with something, then one of the ladies will come grab them. You know, so I am lucky that I have this little world that works and appreciates my baby. But motherhood and entrepreneurship, I will say, hands down, I was prepared to be a mother because I had a store. I will, I have never not said that. The emotional roller coaster of being a business owner and working so hard and giving up so much is as equal to being a mother. And I can say that because I'm now experiencing both. And, you know, we as entrepreneurs and business owners, especially brick and mortar, I feel you understand, you know, the emotional tug of doing all this. And then motherhood is just absolutely the same. You're questioning if you're doing things well. You know, you're questioning, you know, did I do this right? Will they receive it? You know, it's still the same. It's the same kind of insecurities and feelings. And, you know, so... You did. No, no, you you did. Like it's I've never thought about that. But I mean, I don't have a retail storefront, but this my business feels like a baby. I mean, it really is like people don't realize how emotional it is. And like you said, all the uncertainty and all the good with the bad and the struggle and the it it really is owning a business is like having a child. (laughs) I mean, Yeah, so I've never heard anybody actually explain it better. So I thought that was perfect. It really is. And I and I, you know, Owning your business, yes. I think, you know, having a brick and mortar, whether it's retail or not, it's that I have to keep the lights on feeling. So whether it's a studio where you do all your work or, you know, however you need to get your your job done, you know, it's that stress of like this thing needs to thrive all the time. And that is motherhood. And, Hmm. you know, I, like I said, it is not easy. I love it. But I am thankful I'm in a world where I create motherhood around my business. And, you know, not a lot of moms get to do that. And, you know, I wish, I really wish I could change that for a lot of moms because it's been beautifully hard, (laughs) but it's been amazing to say that my child will be with me whenever I want him to be. Well, and what I love is I think it's such a blessing that he's going to get to grow up in such a creative, wonderful, dynamic environment where he's really prepared for life. I mean, he's, you are literally teaching him how to be prepared for life with all it's good and bad and all it's up and down and with an element of creativity on so many different levels. So I love that he's getting to just through complete osmosis, like he's just being dunked in it. And he's probably going to end up being some sort of, he'll have some sort of creative element would be my guess in his life, you know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, whatever, when he enters high school, he'll probably be much more likely to be open to all different kinds of opportunities, right? So I love that you're basically helping him do that already. Thank you. Very much like your story. You know, you learned a lot from your father. And even though you went on to do so many things academically, I'm like, girl, you are just amazing with all the things you achieved. You had something to fall back on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it took you a while to figure that out. 
per se, but it was there. And especially in this environment, I don't know what college is going to mean to my child because it's changing so much and it's hard to even pitch the go to college, get a great life. Yeah. You know, like, that's who knows like, what's going to happen. Yeah. I don't know that anymore. So I hope no matter what, I hope my, I know my child will be educated in, on some level. I don't know what college will mean there, but I hope that he always in his back pocket has a skill set that mm-hmm. he's learned. My husband's very handy too. Nice. Um, also very big, sorry, shout out to my husband. There is mm-hmm. nothing I would about that man. <laughs> so I just want to say very much that I am a very go-getter, but like you need a partner and he is it. So yeah, yeah I was yeah. actually going to ask about that. Like, I'm sure he's a big part of, you know, your ability to be able to take on these opportunities and to be able to have a kind of safe place to fall when it's not quite working out. And you, you know, my husband is the same way with me. Like you really, it's very difficult, even though it feels like a personal struggle for you and for me. And there are parts they don't really know or know what it feels like. There is still a safe place to fall when you really are having a hard day or you need that little extra push or you just need a break. I mean, it's really hard to completely do it by yourself. And so, um, you know, I think you are a testament to surrounding yourself, maybe not on purpose, but it's just happened organically with all these amazing people. It sounds like your neighbors, your vendors, your family, your friends who are really helping you create this very creative life. You you've built this little tribe around you. It takes a village. And I will say, though, I literally could not do this without my husband because he works consistently. Mm-hmm. There is so much up and down in what I do. And I will be very honest. I didn't have a plan. I took our savings and I said, I'm going to do this. And I hope you're along with this ride. But mm-hmm. like, this is what I'm going to do. And he was down. He is my ride or die. He, you know, I take money when I need to. If I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like... You know, during um, maternity leave, I didn't work, but yeah. the rent still needs to be paid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, things right. like that. Right. Yes, I had some savings and, you know, st- aside from our actual lives. But, you know, it, it he's a, he's a, I always tell him, you think you're a partner, but you're an employee. <laughs> I told him that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he's the partner. He is the silent partner that really does keep my business thriving. He is, I mean, he's just it takes so much help and, you know, for my family and my friends and everything, but he's with me every day. He is my sounding board when I'm like, nobody loves my product, you know? And he, (laughs) he's my hype man. He's like, you got this, you got this. He's also, you know, when I'm like, I am so tired of sweeping up piles of sawdust and taking out loads of garbage. Could you please go clean my studio? Yeah. He does that. So does my husband. So does my husband. (laughs) Listen, the struggle of sweeping. Yes. I'm like, babe, babe, would you please do another dump run? I cannot stand doing another dump run. And he's like, sure. So yeah. Yeah, it can it can be physically hard. Like, ladies, let's not let's not, uh, you know, sugarcoat it. It, It's it can be really fucking hard. And the the caveat to my studio, I have 17 steps that you count every damn day you walk up them. So that Oh, you have to walk upstairs too? That's And I get into a blissful studio where I'm talking. I have 1,400 square feet, a covered balcony, a full kitchen. Mm. I opened my store working out of a storage unit. So this is a mansion, but it takes 17 steps to get to it. So there is nothing that has gone up there that doesn't have my my husband's hands on it. Now I, I use delivery people. But, like, he literally is just involved in every aspect of my business. I don't always want his opinion. But, you know, mm-hmm. he, you know, there would be no touch without my husband. So shout out to him and all, you know, lots of other creatives that, you know, 
we need that extra set of hands and it's nice to have one that you always have to pay for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, I, this has just been an awesome interview. I think you're such a uh, shining light in this industry. And I love that you just took this huge risk and um, built this little tribe around you and you're, you're making it work. And uh, I just, yeah, I just thank you so much for your time and for sort of sharing your little story and sharing, you know, the direction that you're going. And I know you've got some workshops coming up that of course we'll share in the, um, the show notes and, uh, I hope the ladies go and check out your store and maybe hire you for uh, in South Carolina to do some design for them or accessories or upholstery yeah. or all that stuff. Let's start in North Carolina. I will go see them oh. in South. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're in North Carolina. Sorry. <laughs> but I, um, but I really want to thank you for, I did not know, you know, we found each other on Instagram. Yeah, mm -hmm. Instagram really is wonderful for making great connections. But let me tell you, I binged your podcast. Well, I, I'm doing an install, so I've been creating and making all kinds of things, and I work late at my studio, and um, I will say every guest that you've had has had the perspective, a very interesting perspective of someone like me really needed to hear um, the ups and downs, the not knowing how to charge for your time, not one of the women that you spoke with, she was the wood turner in Charleston. Mm -hmm. And she's the first time I heard on a podcast anywhere. She's like, I don't really do this for the money. I want to be comfortable, but I don't do it for the, and I have never felt so connected to someone to say like, I love what I do so much. It's the dollar does not drive me. And so to find, you know, consistently people that kind of understand the idea of just innately being a creator and a craftsman and having this, your, this need to get out and use your hands has been amazing so you need to hurry up and keep <laughs> finding people like, I need more <laughs> so, I just want to really thank you you really are doing something wonderful and I'm very very thankful to be a part of it and I hope that it just keeps growing and growing because it's a perspective people need to hear for listening to remodel your life i sure have enjoyed being with you today and if you really like our show we'd love it if you would subscribe through itunes you can always send us feedback through email at camille at remodelyourlifepodcast.com and i'll see you next week thank you for listening to the remodel your life podcast this episode has ended, but your remodeling journey can continue. Head over to RemodelYourLifePodcast.com to access all the resources, tools, and links mentioned in this episode. Until next time, get your hands dirty and create the life you want from the foundation up. And thanks again to Blue Apron. I just love cooking with them and so appreciate their support of my show. You can generalize clients, but you can't ever lose that personal contact of one-on-one. -on -one.